earlier in the year, um, there were two books that I read that God used to kind of spark the ideas uh, for the sermons that we're in the midst of right now. And I'm not asking you to read these, but just uh, for full disclosure. Um, a book by Jeff Christofferson called Kingdom Matrix. And I actually had opportunity, I think, January, February, to hear Jeff Christofferson speak, and um, he is actually the the church planting uh, strategist for the North American Mission Board. One of the things that intrigued me about Jeff Christofferson was that he was raised in Canada in the church planting movement uh, where Henry Blackaby was. And so, if you're ex familiar with Henry Blackaby and experiencing God. Uh, Jeff Christofferson, at least as a young man, was a part of that. His family was a part of the churches that were started uh, by that movement um, in Canada. But he was, in his book, obviously talks about the kingdom of God and the priority of the kingdom of God and um, how that was Jesus' message and how we are to surrender and uh, to make sure that we are not building our kingdom but building God's kingdom. And so... Uh, began to think about that, and then after that, I read a book by J.D. Greer called Gaining by Losing, um, and uh, actually J.D. Greer is a pastor in North Carolina in Raleigh-Durham at the Summit Church. He is actually a relatively young guy. He's in his, I think, early 40s, I would say. He has actually been elected this summer as the president of the Southern Baptist Convention uh, which I think is, is a good thing. Uh, I actually also got to hear him speak earlier in the year, but uh, sparked me reading his book. His book, one of his books, the one I've read, is called Gaining by Losing, and it's subtitled, this is the significance of this morning, Why the Future Belongs to Churches That Sinned. Uh, and so I kind of, had this thought of the kingdom, and uh, J.D. Greer talks about the culture within the church, and uh, kind of kind of married those two ideas together for what we've been talking about the last five weeks. J.D. Greer, early one of those early chapters, he talks about the way people perceive of the church, and uh, he describes that people three ways that people look at the church. Uh, he said, some people look at the church like a cruise ship. And the church is here to uh, entertain you and to meet your needs and to get you full of bacon or whatever it is on a cruise. That was always the amazing thing to me. I'm sorry, surely I digress here, but uh, <clears throat> that you could go to the buffet and eat all the bacon you wanted. But anyhow, that's just me. You know, everybody's got their own <clears throat> issues. Uh, but J.D. Greer talks about in the, one of those early chapters just about how <clears throat> we many times people come to the church with this consumer attitude that the church is here to meet my needs, and as long as you're meeting my needs, then, you know, I, I'm here. You know, you're going to help me grow spiritually or whatever, you know, uh, with my children or my students or whoever you're going to, you know, whatever felt needs I have, as long as the church is meeting those needs, then, then I'm in. But quite honestly, if there's another church that's kind of over there and it's a little more sparkly and, you know, got some things going on, then I'm, I might jump over there because they perceive of the church as being 
cruise ship. He said, secondly, some people uh, see the church as a battleship. Battleship. And uh, we're all on board together, and we're fighting the battle uh, from the comforts of the battleship. <clears throat> now, J.D. Greer would say the, the battleship paradigm is better than the cruise ship paradigm. He says on the battleship paradigm, then the pastor sets the course and he decides what uh, the battle is out there that we're going we're gonna to shoot our uh, cannons towards to defeat the battle that's out there, you know, and we're all going to stay here on the battleship and kind of cheer the pastor on, you know, go get him, pastor, and you don't know from Sunday and Sunday what he's going to be attacking outside these four walls, but the pastor's going to be mad about something we know, you know, and this is the perspective of I'm going to come and the church is like a battleship. <clears throat> hmm. J.D. Greer doesn't contend for any of those. <laughs> he said the third paradigm and the one that he believes best represents a kingdom culture is he said the church is an aircraft carrier. You don't really fight the battle on the aircraft carrier. The aircraft carrier exists to equip people to go out wherever the battle is and fight the battle out there. An aircraft carrier is designed to send out ships wherever the battle is. And uh, J.D. Greer's contention is, obviously in talking about churches that send, is to say the church exists to send us out to fight the battle and to spread the gospel and to be about that conflict that started centuries and centuries ago. Uh, J.D. Greer's church, <clears throat> uh, the Summit Church, is a, what is termed a sending church. They have the unique um, environment surrounding their church to be surrounded by universities and university students so you don't realize this until you travel to North Carolina and you realize Duke and the University of North Carolina are just nine miles apart wow and then well of course yes there's some North Carolina people here sorry Ashley I didn't mean <clears throat> um, I was looking at the wafers over there they're in town but um, anyhow y'all can get together and have a little North Carolina reunion or whatever you people do <clears throat> Anyhow, hey, this is not a dialogue. This is not a dialogue. This is a monologue this morning, okay? Uh, but I think you have Wake Forest right about there too. Close, not too far. But J.D. Greer's testimony is he uh, became a pastor, I guess, um, in that church in 2002. So he was in his 20s, a young pastor, had been to the mission field and had come home and was pastoring this fairly traditional church, Southern Baptist Church in Raleigh-Durham and he said one Sunday dozens and dozens and dozens for whatever reason of college students just showed up and it kind of reframed what they thought about themselves and who they were and what they were about as a church and what they do pretty radical is they 
they raise their college students that are there for only a short period of time, maybe four years, in a kingdom culture kind of church. And then what they say is, we want to continue this movement all kinds of places in the United States. Would you as a graduate of whatever, Duke, North Carolina, Wake Forest, NC State, wherever you're graduating from, would you be willing to go somewhere in the United States for your job professionally as God leads you and be a part of planning a church that also has a kingdom culture about it that is ascending church? And so uh, a lot of his book he talks about in his own testimony of how they just, they just send people out. People leave continue to spread the kingdom and uh, so they would be characterized as a sending church as they are sending church members out not only in North Carolina but across the United States uh, to plant churches that are also sending churches it's 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 a movement um, when we begin to look at the Bible we realize that's what God had in mind that's what Jesus had in mind about the kingdom movement. That it is our responsibility as God leads us in the course of our life that we would be planting the seeds of the gospel and by planting the seeds of the gospel the kingdom would be expanded. This is the last of this sermon series. I wanted, to, I wanted to throw my six points up there on the screen so you could see all of these. All of these are components to a kingdom culture in a church. Hmm. It is my responsibility to set the culture of Huntington First Baptist Church. It is J.D. Greer's responsibility as the pastor of Summit Church in Raleigh-Durham to set a culture that expands the kingdom. Um, and as I've looked to the Gospels and I looked to Jesus and I saw what was it that Jesus was starting, these are the six things that I wrote down several months ago to say this is a kingdom culture and there, there's kind of progression through here and it starts with total surrender that the king can do with my life whatever he chooses to do the second is a humility and what I mean by that is that as we have experienced the grace of God it creates a humility in our life that then in turn leads us to not being judgmental towards others, but being compassionate to others. I believe a kingdom church, kingdom cultured church is missional in that it sees its mission is not within itself a cruise ship, but as an aircraft carrier that's sending people out. It's about outside these four walls and the gospel going out. I believe a kingdom culture church is one who has saturated itself in what Jesus said 
And that dominates more than what our culture says about life and how we are to live. Last Sunday we talked about people, that the bottom line is we are in the people business. The kingdom is spread simply through people, and we're going to talk about that more this morning, because when we get to the final point, uh, and this is so simple, but so basic and so essential, that the kingdom is expanded through our words. It's that simple. And maybe you've never thought about it. How does the kingdom of God expand? Well, the kingdom of God is just about people. And Jesus said, the kingdom is within you. How is the kingdom expanded? The kingdom is expanded when someone else hears the words of the gospel and their life is transformed and God takes over their life. And it's like, tag, you're another part. You're another part of the kingdom. You're in. And then it grows from there and there. Jesus would talk about that the kingdom is like secretly growing seed, that when the seeds of the gospel are placed in a heart, and that heart in time as that seed is watered and fertilized, and that it sprouts and it grows. And God takes root in our lives. The kingdom is expanded person by person. But here it is. This is so simple. It's our words. The kingdom is spread through our words that Jesus gave us. And when we spread that word of the gospel and someone receives it by faith, now, the reality is not everybody receives it. Not everybody responds to it. We're going to talk about that here in just a minute. But when somebody does, then God takes reign in that heart and the kingdom of God is expanded. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? This is not rocket science. The biblical pattern is that the kingdom is spread and here's my point. In the course of your life, speak the gospel. And if you will do that, the kingdom will be expanded, not because of our words, but because the power in the word. In the course of your life, speak the gospel. Whatever it is that God has called you to do, uh, I want to look at one verse of Scripture this morning. You have the great advantage this morning of knowing that there is lunch waiting across the street. The great advantage I have is we cannot smell lunch from here. There is a gap, a great gulf, the Scripture would say, between us and lunch. And it is the next 30 minutes. And the walk across the street. But one verse of Scripture this morning I believe that just captures... Uh, this and it's in Matthew 10 verse 7 a very simple verse Jesus speaking to his 12 disciples and he said at, and as you go preach 
saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, Jesus had, days before this, had called the twelve to be his closest followers. And he had called them into a relationship with himself, and they spent every day together. And what they observed in Jesus was what the Gospels record, is that Jesus just went around preaching the gospel of the kingdom, teaching the people, casting out demons, healing the sick. That's what Jesus did. And he just called those 12 to come and to be with him, and he went around and he did this. He preached, he taught, he cast out demons, and he healed. That's what Jesus did, and he was doing it day by day, and the disciples were watching him. The day came, recorded in Matthew 10, that Jesus said, I give you 12 the authority to do the same things that I have done. Tag, you're it. And he goes through this, long, this pretty lengthy discussion, I know particularly in Matthew and Luke's gospel, and he gives them instruction. He says, I'm sending you out. And guess what he told them to do? Preach the gospel of the kingdom, <laughs> teach the people, cast out demons, and heal the sick in my name. That I want you to do the same things that you have seen me do. You just go and do that. What strikes me is this very simple verse in Matthew 10, 7, in which Jesus says, and as you go. Now, I'm a little OCD. I got some other letters associated with me. Not been officially diagnosed, but anyhow, I know. That I would have thought, so where do you want us to go? And there's no sense in the Gospels that Jesus said, now, hey, I, I need you two boys to go out this road, and I want y'all to cover these villages, and I need you two boys, mm -hmm, y'all go here. We're going we're gonna to canvas this whole area. Jesus just said, as you go. And it was almost like, well, where do you want us to go? It doesn't really matter, just Go. And in fact, it describes just as you're going. In fact, this is the same sense, Byron, of, of the Great Commission in which the go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing and teaching, yes, but the sense of the New Testament is as you go. And my question to you this morning is, where is life taking you? Where do, what path has God chosen? Where do you work? Where do you live? Where do you go to school? What, what, um, what are you involved in extracurricularly? Curricularly. Why did I even try that? Is that even a word? What do you do in your spare time? Whew, that's a little safer. And Jesus, I think his point, wherever God leads you in the course of your everyday life, that's where I want to use you. Now, we understand from the New Testament, 
that um, the church of Antioch in Acts chapter 13, they said, hmm, there's some people over here that are never going to hear in the course of our daily life. Therefore, we're sending Paul and Barnabas to go and tell them about Jesus. We do that in Africa, and we have missionaries, obviously, that do that. But for the vast majority of us, what is it that God expects? As you live in the course of your everyday life, God wants to use you. In the, in the course of your life, speak the gospel. I don't know if Jesus, that's what he meant, but it seems in Matthew 10, 7, he just said, go somewhere. And I'll, I'll guide your steps. Do you believe that where you work is some place that God has determined for you to work there? Do you believe where you live is a place? Do you believe the activities, those extracurricular activities, are things that God has led you? Do you believe that God has connected you with people? I don't know, in different ways. And if God dictates your steps of where you go just in your everyday life, surely God wants to use you I get this from the book of Acts. I've already said this earlier. It's like, Jesus, there were no buildings. There were no programs. How was Jesus going to start a movement like that? And you get to the book of Acts, there's still not a program. There's not a strategy. What did they do? In the course of their everyday life, they spoke the gospel. And it became a movement that extends all around the world and 2,000 years later to Huntington, Texas. In the course of your life, your everyday life, trust that God is determining your steps and that he wants to use you there. Do you understand what your pastor's telling you today? We're all looking for these big opportunities. And every day the opportunities are right in front of us. And we just, we thought, oh, no, no, I'm at work. Yeah. And there's people you're going to encounter at work that you're going to have relationships with that you need to speak to. You know, my sense is the other thing, as Jesus said, as, and as you go, Jesus was thinking about face-to-face -face encounters. Hmm. I know we can share the gospel. We can speak the gospel on Facebook and through social media and bless our hearts. I really think, and I'm not, I'm not dissing that. Well, I sort of am, but anyhow, <clears throat> I needed to say that just to save face maybe. I really believe what Jesus said is think about the face-to-face -face encounters you have in the course of everyday life. Speak the gospel. The second word in, in Matthew 10, 7 is the word preach. And you're thinking, whoo! Boy, that just let me off the hook. Not a preacher. Travis, are you a preacher? Okay. 
Well, today the preacher is setting you aside to preach. Because this is a word. Well, think about this. He's sending out the 12 and he said, just as you go, preach. Proclaim the gospel of the kingdom is what he's saying. Um, was that just for the 12? The early church didn't take it like that. Because everywhere they went, they proclaimed the message. Don't get hung up on the word preach because the word preach just means to proclaim. In fact, the word for preach there is a word that is used of a herald. Hark the herald. Is that good? That's not good, is it? Yeah. Uh, A herald in medieval times was the person that the king gave a message to to go out and to proclaim, and he started by saying, Hear ye, hear ye. And the people knew this is an important message that has come from the king, but there is a herald who has come to proclaim it. That's this word. Not an ordained man who stands up on Sunday morning and preaches for 45 minutes. It is someone who has been authorized by the authority figure to proclaim a message. It is not his message. The herald does not make this up. The herald simply proclaims what the authority figure, the king, has told him to say. That's all he does. That's what... Jesus did in the Gospels. Well, that's first who Jesus was. He came as a herald for God to proclaim the kingdom of God. In fact, he preached. We've already talked about that. Uh, Matthew 4, 17, Jesus is baptized, goes in the wilderness when he begins his public ministry. What does he do? It says, and he came preaching, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus proclaimed... From God, the message of the kingdom, there comes a point, not only here in the Gospels, but later, that Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. You are the authorized ones to deliver the message. We simply deliver the message that the king has given us. It is not our message. It's not even our responsibility what the response is there is a word used in the gospels <laughs> to describe this message that we have been entrusted with in fact it is the word gospel in Matthew 9:35 when it talks about preaching about the kingdom it says that Jesus was preaching the gospel of the kingdom I don't have a lot of time this morning to get bogged down in this, uh, um, but actually I want to talk about it later. I'm sorry, I was jumping the gun. We are told to preach. We represent the king and have been entrusted with a message. This is simply what the early church did. They spoke the message. Um, We see it in the book of Acts. Um, Jesus said when he was leaving in Acts 1, 8, 
He said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said you are witnesses. What is, this, what is a witness? A witness is one who has seen or heard or experienced something that then tells about it on the stand. That's all a witness does. Just the facts. Tell us what you saw, what you heard, what you experienced, and just tell us with your word. A witness is one who uses his words. When we are commissioned to preach, we are to use our words because the kingdom is spread through the words. J.D. Greer, in his book, Gaining by Losing, talks about this. <laughs> I've thought about this often. He says, maybe you've heard the old adage attributed to Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. Quaint and tweetable, but very wrong. You cannot preach the gospel without words. The gospel is an explanation about an act that occurred in history once and for all. We testify through words that G what Jesus did for us and what we could never do for ourselves by living the life we should have lived and dying the death we should have died in our place so that others can believe that message and trust in it. Underline, you cannot preach the gospel without words. What I'm saying to you and what must become a part of a church that has a kingdom culture is we must speak. We must speak. It is not enough to live a good life and assume that people are going to get the gospel. It's not. The early church didn't do that. I'm going to live a good life and people will then, yeah, they'll, they'll be pointed to Jesus. No. In the course of their life, they spoke. And the last part of that is the gospel, is the message of the kingdom. So in Matthew 10, 7, he says, And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. They were sent out to speak the message of the kingdom, the same as Jesus had done. It's described not simply as the message of the kingdom, but the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus told the parable in Matthew 13 um, of the sower who went out to sow. And you know the story of the man who went out and he sowed seed, and it fell on four different kinds of souls, and there were four kinds of responses. At the end of that parable, the disciples say, tell us what that means. And this is what Jesus said, very important. He said, the seed is the message of the kingdom. So what was Jesus teaching us? It is our responsibility to cast the seeds. We are the sower. The seed is the message of the kingdom or the gospel message that has power in itself to change and transform someone's life. It's what happened to me. If you're a Christian today, it happened to you. Some body spoke to you about Jesus you heard it and the gospel went into your heart and God opened up your heart and you believed 
And the message changed your life. We are the sowers that are casting seed. The thing about the, the, the parable of the sower is three out of the four soils did not produce. It's not my responsibility. It's not your responsibility to determine someone's response to that message. What is our responsibility? To cast the seed. We have to speak the gospel. That's what Jesus was teaching us. And if it ever takes root, even though three of the four didn't produce anything, it will produce 30, 60, and some 100-fold. We'll have amazing response and effects. The Gospels use the word gospel to summarize the message. And the word gospel simply means good news. Euangelion in the Greek. Good news. These are churchy words. <clears throat> gospel. It's not a word. I don't know why the English word for good news is gospel. I don't know why it was translated that, that way. And the other thing I don't understand, well, I do actually understand this one. If you take euangelion and you make it a verbal form, it's translated in, in the New Testament as evangelize. The word gospel and evangelize are the same word, one a noun and one a verb. So gospel means good news. To put it in a verbal form means to proclaim good news. Evangelism is simply proclaiming the good news. What I'm saying to you today is Jesus' plan to change the world was simply that we would speak the gospel in the course of our everyday life. And sometimes, yes, we need to be more intentional. We need to send people around the world to speak the gospel to those who will never hear. But by and large, the kingdom is expanded when we speak the gospel, the simple good news that God came to take over and Jesus Christ came and ultimately died on a cross to pay for our sins that we might have life and we might not only escape hell, but we might be ushered into heaven when we die. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. If we're talking about a kingdom culture, I want us to understand the simple yet essential truth that the kingdom is expanded in the course of our everyday life when we speak the gospel. And I'm afraid we've lost that. I'm afraid your, your preachers lost that. I get busy with preacher stuff. 
and I forget as a disciple of Jesus Christ, the only way the kingdom is expanded and grows is when I speak the gospel and someone receives that message and it changes their life just like it did to me. Could I just challenge you this morning to think about where God leads you and the people that he encounters. You don't have to, David Box and Eli and I are going to Africa next month. You don't have to go with us. You don't have to. In fact, there's not room for you this trip, but anyhow, talk to me later. What I'm saying to you, you don't have to do that. Because God said in the course of your daily life, wherever you walk, where you work, where you go to school, where you live, where you play. <laughs> there are face-to-face -face encounters. And all you have to do in the course of your life is speak the gospel. Just tell other people what Jesus Christ has done and what he has done in your life. I tell you, it started a revolution. It did. 2,000 years ago. It's all that the early church did. And it's a part of having a kingdom culture where we are. It's my responsibility as your leader to set the culture I believe a kingdom culture. It is your part to take responsibility for your life. And as we conclude these messages, could we put those six points back up on one that second slide? Yeah. What is it that Christ asks of you? Have you completely surrendered to him? Are you approaching life from humility? Your life is missional. Not about this being a cruise ship, but an aircraft carrier. Are you allowing his words to saturate your mind and your heart? Is your life focused on people? And are you speaking the gospel just in the course of your everyday life. This morning, if you would stand, Brother Shane's going to come to lead us. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning, what is it that God would say to you and what does God ask of you? What is your part as a part of this church to make sure that we have a kingdom culture? Uh, the altar is open this morning. If you need to speak with Byron or I, we're at the front. Uh, maybe you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ. That is the starting point. But maybe God has touched your heart this morning for you to say yes. I need to give my life to him. And Byron and I can talk with you about that. The altar is open. Father, we pray that you would use this time 
Father, continue to uh, pour your life into ours. And we pray it in Jesus' name.